Experience the most delicious, entertaining, and bizarre parts of life in the big city with New York Magazine's collection of podcasts, available exclusively from Panoply. Tune into the Grub Street podcast for restaurant trends that'll soon be sweeping the country. Catch exclusive interviews with the stars of your favorite TV shows with the Vulture TV podcast. And check out Sex Lives for intimate discussions of sex in the real city. It's like taking a trip to New York from the comfort of your earbuds. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today, as always, New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. We're missing Allison this week, which leaves us both heartbroken, but we're going to be talking to Lisa Hone, an online dating ghostwriter. First, though, we wanted to remind you about the Sex Lives voicemail box. You can call us at 646-494-3590. We're going to end the episode with answers to our question from last week. And this week, you're going to hear this breakup horror story. I was studying abroad in England for three months, and I thought it was a good idea to stay together with my boyfriend, who's still in America, which, of course, in hindsight, I realized was a terrible idea, and no one should do that ever. That's coming up later after our interview with Lisa Hone, author of the book, You Probably Shouldn't Write That, Tips and Tricks for Creating an Online Dating Profile That Doesn't Suck. But first, Maureen, you and I were emailing earlier this week about this new study suggesting that women actually do really like being objectified so long as they're being objectified by their partner. First of all, is this a surprising study? It got a lot of press, but it seems sort of intuitive as a dude. It seems sort of intuitive to me. Yeah, this study to me was so incredibly intuitive that I mean I appreciate that somebody studied it and like proved these things once and for all I believe the research was published in the archives of sexual behavior and the uh, researchers were named Andrea Meltzer James McNulty and John Manor and they what they found was that um they studied how women in newlywed heterosexual couples how much they enjoy their partners sexualizing them and they found that the more confident and secure the woman felt in the relationship, the more she enjoyed being sexualized. Whereas if she felt undervalued or she felt insecure about the relationship, then being sexualized made her feel really bad in that she felt like he only liked her for sex. This to me seems like extremely obvious that if you feel like you're only being used for sex, you feel bad. Um, I guess the surprise to some people was the idea that being objectified can feel good if you feel secure about your, like, personhood and everything else, which is such a, like, no-duh feminist. Like, are we surprised by this? Yeah, it feels great to have somebody be like, your ass is amazing, but I also like your mind. But also, I think I would imagine that in some limited scenarios anyway, or, like, kind of safe-seeming scenarios, it probably feels good to be objectified whatever you know, by anybody. I think the key is that people don't like being objectified when they feel unsafe or when they feel like it's the only thing they are, right? That like if I am only a piece of ass that a person wants to grab and or possibly rape, then yeah, of course I'm not going to like it. But like in the same way that if somebody, you know, there's like any number of qualities that somebody can really like about me. And if they like me as a person and see me as a full-fledged person, then it's okay. Like if somebody really likes the way I cook and they like me as a person, that's great. If they want to treat me like a kitchen slave, then no, I'm not going to like it. These things seem super intuitive to me. What I do wonder, though, is 
what the sort of inverse with men would be, which was something they didn't study um, in this particular study. What kind of thing do you have in mind? Like if we were going to start a study right now, what would it be? <laughs> do men ever mind being objectified <laughs> is my question. Because they're objectified so rarely that I feel like it's never really a problem. I can't imagine a situation which I would take it as something other than a anything other than a compliment. Although personally, there may be situations where it's like a little uncomfortable to like well, yeah. know how to respond. But it would still be an ego stroke, even if I like didn't know how to answer. I think the key is also that as a woman, you are so consistently objectified and like dehumanized that obviously that's going to be completely obnoxious and frightening and upsetting to your sense of personal safety. Um like it, it, it only is good when it's in the exact right situation. It's also interesting to think that within the right situation, there's no limit to how much like positive objectification can go on. That like, you know, by if a, a wife being objectified by her husband, it's like as much as he wants to sexualize her, that's probably positive. As but the key being in this study says as long as the amount that he's sexualizing her is sort of keeping pace with how much he loves her right. and how secure she feels. Um, which is to say when the sort of sexualization is an outgrowth of like, I love you so much. I love talking to you so much. I love your tits so much. It's sort of apparently, according to the study, sort of all works out. Although I can imagine situations in which that would get pretty fucking annoying. Um, although I guess <laughs> in those situations, you're already in an insecure relationship, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you want some variety, too. It's like you don't want the only thing that anybody that like your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend tells you is like how much they love you. That can get a little boring, too. Yeah, true. If it was all just like, I love your mind, I love your mind, you're like, what about my ass? So we've been talking about this new study about how women in good relationships like to be objectified by the men in them. Coming up next, we're going to speak on the phone with online dating guru and ghostwriter Lisa Hone. Lisa Hone, thanks so much for coming to Sex Lives. Thank you. We've been talking about you not on the air in this podcast, but off the air in planning <laughs> this podcast, I think since we uh, like just about launched it and are so excited oh, to be able to finally ask you how you got to do the thing that you do. And then we're also going to ask you a lot of detailed questions about exactly what it is you do. But maybe you could tell us first how it started, how you became an online dating ghostwriter. So basically, when I started online dating, I was just as terrified as everyone else is. And I think I was like 22 or 23. Um, and my sister came to visit. And basically, she was sick of me complaining about being single in the city. And so she got me drunk and was like, I'm going to make you a profile. You started out as someone else's apprentice before well, you became the master exactly. yourself. Well, not exactly. I mean, a profile created by like a tipsy teenager is not the best <laughs> Um, you know, representation of myself, which is something I quickly found out. I started going on dates with, you know, the profile that my sister had created for me, and they were all terrible. I went out with a taxidermist. I went out with, like, a literal clown. What? These sound like amazing his... dates, Lisa. I know. I, they're ridiculous, but they're... <laughs> Not the people you wanted to be your match. <laughs> exactly. They were, like, really fun. I'm serious. Like, the, the clown actually brought his nose on the date. And then, like, I turned around for a second and I turned back and he was wearing it. Lisa, is he still single? <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume You would so. bet so, yeah. <laughs> you want me to hook you up, Maureen? Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll set it up. Um, so it all kind of culminated the night that I went out with this guy who ended up being sweet and charming and funny. And he had picked, like, a great bar. And then 
by the time our first drink was done, I was like, okay, I assume we're on track for another because this has been a great date. And he stops when the waiter comes and is like, oh, we'll take the check. I was a little confused. And he goes, so my nose is really stuffy and I really need nose spray. Um, you know, I have it and a bottle of red like around the corner at my apartment if you're interested. <laughs> and okay. I was like, what? Did you just use nasal decongestant to try to get me to sleep with you? <laughs> Do you think that it worked in the past? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> did it work on you? <laughs> no, it did not work on me. <laughs> Thank God. After that date, I was like, I'm done with online dating. And then right as, like before I deleted my profile, I was like, wait a minute. This, like I have a terrible profile. Um, so I started kind of researching other people's profiles and figured out what I liked and what I didn't, rewrote my profile, and then Basically, the gist of it was that in, like, a couple weeks, I went out with this wonderful guy who I ended up dating for a year until he moved out of the city. And then my friends started coming to me for help. And so I was like, okay, like, I can help you with your profile. And they started going out on, you know, dates that hadn't been as terrible as the ones that they had been going on before. And all of a sudden, one day I woke up and I was like, oh, my God, people would pay me for this. No one wants to go out with, like, all the wrong people all the time. And so that's what I put up a website. And... Now it's what I do. So what do you, um, I mean, what are the mistakes people make or what, how do you, what's your process like, I guess, when you meet somebody and you're trying to make their profile be more like them through the sort of counterintuitive method of having outsourcing it to you? <laughs> yeah. You know, I make every, every profile is really individual. And when I work with people, I do a really in-depth email interview, which a lot of people are like, oh my God, why don't you talk on the phone? And really, when people are on the phone, they end up reverting back to things like they tell the same stories or the same facts about themselves over and over, and they, you don't really get it, like a sense of their writing style, which is really mm -hmm. what's necessary when you're online dating. I get really like intimate details from them um, via this email interview. The first questionnaire that I have is a form, and that asks things like, do you want to go on a lot of dates or do you want to go on the right date? Ah. Um, which okay. informs the way that I write things. Things like, okay, let's say you want to go on a lot of dates, but you, I don't know, spend your days knitting with your six cats. You, I mean, it's not <laughs> that that's not something that someone is not going to love eventually, but you don't want to necessarily make that like front and center of your profile. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the other questions? Name three things that you do on the weekends or like when you have a full day to yourself. Um, it's also things like, do you have any pets? And list like five of your interests or hobbies, uh, things like that. And then from there, I do an in-depth, like the in-depth interview. But I also ask everyone things like, um, what are you looking forward to in the next six months? What's something, like what's the thing you're most proud of accomplishing in the last five years? And my, my favorite thing to ask people is, I tell them, find two people who know you really, really well and ask them to list off of like the top of their head six things that you love. So like if someone were talking about me, I I don't know what they'd say. They'd probably say like Lisa, you really like or like I says you love string cheese, Dr Pepper, club soda, potted <laughs> plants. Like I I don't know, I'm making myself sound like a nerd here, but things like that that you know are they're really obvious, but people don't often think of them when they're writing their profiles. So it seems like you've sort of accumulated quite a lot of insight about what kinds of things work, what kinds of things appeal to 
other people on a site or in a database. What can you tell us about, like, in a naked, like, super crass, strategic <laughs> way? Like, what are the things that you can do to a profile to really make yourself um, irresistible? <laughs> um, you should, A, be funny. If you can get someone to laugh or even just to, like, smile at something that you've written, then you've made, you've forged a personal connection, and that person isn't going to be, like, as afraid of you or, like, put off by you. Be relatable. So, again, the knitting with six cats thing, it's like maybe that's not the most relatable thing, and that's why people are off-put by it. Also, be yourself, which is a really obnoxious thing to say. But, I mean, it's true. Like, you want to be reflected in your online dating profile. You want to showcase who you are and you want to showcase like the best possible version of yourself are there forms of dishonesty that can work that you can get away with or is really all dishonesty off the table as far as you're concerned well in my book i actually have a section called fudging the facts uh-huh. um, and i mean i think you can get away with a little bit like let's say i was a camp counselor i love being outdoors i love camping and hiking but i live in the city so i don't do it nearly as much as i would like to like, to say that I like those things or to say that I do them on my online dating profile, I don't think that's dishonest um, as much as it just is, like, aspirational. Lisa, you once told me some really, like, brutally honest or really basic information about the types of pictures one should use when setting up a profile. Yeah. So, basically, you want your photos to kind of reflect who you are. Like, let's say you're a runner. You should have a photo of yourself either running or in a race or training or after a race or something that shows that you run. Mm-hmm. You should have your main photo be something that's, like, clear of you, but also a talking point, if possible. So you'd want, you know, your, a picture of yourself, you know, playing the drums, where you can see your face, but you're also drumming. And so people are like, okay, there's an automatic talking point. Which flies contrary to my assumption, which is that you should have, like, a headshot, <laughs> professional oh. as possible, right? Yeah, no, no, no. Headshots, everyone assumes that headshots are doctored. Oh. Like, I mean, or that you're an actor or an actress if you're under a certain age, and especially if you live in a big city. Yeah, it sort of sounds like the strategy you're describing is, like, you should assume that nobody's actually going to read anything that you write and only get the information they have <laughs> out of your photos, so pack as much in there as you can. I mean, you absolutely should. I don't think it's true that people don't read the profiles, but I do think you should pack as much information as you can into your pictures. Yeah, don't undermine the business, David. (laughs) (laughs) So do people send you, like, a selection of photos and you tell them which to use? Sometimes. um, That's how a lot of people do it. Or people friend me on Facebook. Mm. And that's actually my favorite because not only do I get to go through more pictures of them, but... Oftentimes I learn a lot more about them than, you know, it's like things that they didn't reveal to me are then made clear through their Facebook photos. Has anybody ever, like, taken offense to the type of advice you give them? Some people have told me things like, that was really hard to read, but thank you. <laughs> really? How? How so? Um, well, I'm, I'm really honest. And I'm also really good at euphemizing and, like, making the best of my criticisms. What a, I told one woman that... Her, like it was, she had a lot of kind of juvenile interests, like vampires and juvenile in general. Juvenile is not a good word to use to describe <laughs> anyone who's currently in your presence. I think <laughs> that's true. Okay, it was like she was like a 
her interest resembled that of like a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> I like how, yeah. Much better, much better. So you told her that, that you're like, you can't say you're interested in like Harry Potter and vampires and expect to get laid? Well, what I said was I, pretty much your interests are your interests, and that is cool. Um, but you have to present them in a way that matches your maturity level. What I said to her, I think, was right now you seem like the mom in Mean Girls. Who's like, <laughs> I want to be a cool mom. <laughs> Wait, so how do you rewrite um, a set of juvenile interests to make them reflect the maturity of the person? Well, you just don't you just don't treat them flippantly and you give enough background that it it makes sense that you're interested in this stuff or that you realize that it's kind of silly that you love true blood or whatever it happens to be. So like you could be you could find a way to articulate like a 29-year-old man's love for Beauty and the Beast in a way that would make him attractive to the women in like an in a like an okay cupid pool. So how, how would you write that? David's passionate love of Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> and you're going to write it in a way that will make women like him, but also not think he's like a total weirdo child. Yeah. <laughs> how do you write that, Lisa, on the spot? <laughs> Goodness. Um, you know, I'd probably say something along the lines of like, Beauty and the Beast was my first Disney movie, and I've never dropped my love for it. Like, I can recite every line, dot, dot, dot. Like, are you ready to message me yet, ladies? Or, Lisa, you know, look at that go. <laughs> something that you, you need to be self-deprecating in that situation. Yeah. And I, like be like, yes, I know this is weird, but I love it anyways. And those are the things that people are going to like because they're quirky. And it kind of shows that you're like sensitive and will watch Beauty and the Beast with a woman. which <laughs> An important qualification. And very important. So when you're writing, say when you're ghostwriting a man's profile, do you do you think of yourself as a, like writing for yourself? Like, do you think of the female reader as being someone like you, or do you think of people you know? Is how do you um, how do you start to think about like the target audience? You know, sometimes I use myself, and I think you're right. Sometimes I use other people. I'm currently working on a 72 year old woman's online dating profile, and so I'm trying to like get into the headspace. Of like a seventy-year-old man. She wants a younger man. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> you know they're. <laughs> what website is she on? Our time. It's the over fifty dating site. How do the profiles on there differ from, say, like Bumble or something? Well, so people who are over fifty know what they want. They like absolutely know what they want, and they're not willing to settle, and they're not willing to go on a bunch of terrible dates. The profiles are more frank and they're more direct. Something along the lines of like, I'll only date, you know, a man who is a widower, you know, so that he can identify with, you know, like my own experiences. Also, financial status is kind of a big thing that no one talks about and no one really thinks about. But uh-huh. I would Do you mean say, across, like across all these demographics or do you mean particularly for older people? Well, I actually read a study that was really interesting. It talked about how women, older women in particular, are very, um, like, they're used to being caretakers, and oftentimes they're used to, like, a certain lifestyle. So if, you know, their husband has passed away, you know, they're willing to go out on dates, but one of the qualifiers is that they have to, the man has to make more money than they do because they want to feel secure Mm -hmm. rather than, like, they're going to end up supporting a man who's going to get sick. How do you express something like that in a polite way? Well, you don't say it explicitly. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is you can't come you know, outright and be like, and you have to make at least this much money a year or I'm mm. not going to consider you. 
But isn't it um, just a matter of time before there's a dating site where you can put that kind of thing up there? Yeah. Oh, there totally is. Well, there's so, there kind of already are, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Although I only mean, a really specific setup, i.e. sugar daddies. Right. But yeah, exactly. Have you ever written any profiles on sites like that, on the sugar sites? No, I have not done any sugar sites, but I did do FetLife. Oh, what kind of what kind of um, fet life help have you offered? Well, this is just one mm-hmm. um, out of a lot. So yeah. So fet life, for those who don't know, is a fetish based um, online dating site. So it was really interesting because that site is you know I had to do some like browsing and it's really straightforward. Like people are just really upfront about what they like and what they want. And so, like, the questions that I had to ask were totally different than what I was used to. This man was, he was a dominant, you know, like a dom, um, and he really wanted a sub. So I ended up writing something that basically, like, expressed the way that he viewed himself um, and then also what he was looking for. And have you ever found yourself in any situation, like, attracted to the client? Like, do you ever find yourself going through the photos and being like, you know, I should really... (laughs) (laughs) Well, my mom is constantly, like... Lisa, you get first dibs, right? <laughs> <laughs> but so far, I'm in the clear. Did, are, do you, have you ever worked with a client who, well, first of all, I guess, do you stay in touch with them over the course of their, um, like, over, over a period of time? Do you, like, are you in touch about how dates go and how, how the profile's been working for them? Or are you, like, once you sign off and send it off to them, um, you're sort of done? It depends on the person. Some people get back in touch with me. Other people, it's really fun because when people friend me on Facebook, I can see life events. <laughs> oh, have uh, you had any marriages yet? No, mar- I'm close to a marriage, I swear. But, <laughs> you haven't uh, been doing it super long, though, have you? Well, it's been around two years now, two uh-huh. and a half. I guess that would be a pretty quick engagement, depending on your age. But, yeah. Um, and are any of these relation? Do any of these relationships that sort of get started? Do you find the other person? Is there? Have you ever heard about the other person feeling a sense of betrayal? If if and when they learned that the profile that had introduced them to their boyfriend or girlfriend was written by someone else? No, most of the time the significant other thinks it's pretty funny. I mean, I guess if they like the person, they just like them, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's like at a certain point, all of that ceases to matter. As soon as you meet someone, the profile ceases to matter. I always think this because, like, um, I feel like writers often have, like, a weird, unfair advantage on dating sites in a way that, like, belies how, like, dorky and not good at dating we actually are. <laughs> that, like... You know, there's this there's this phenomenon. I was talking to a friend of mine that um, she was like, I had to stop talking to guys who are really funny in their profiles because then I get on the date and they all just be like obnoxious comedians and I don't actually like guys that make a million jokes, but the profile reads really well. You know, like there's almost certain genres of profile that you end up being attracted to that don't always reflect who you actually want to be with. And I think that's one of people's biggest problems is that, you know, they'll get a great profile and they'll get everything they want up there, but then they don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. And so it's like you kind of just spin yourself in circles because you keep going on the wrong dates and you're like, well, the right guys aren't contacting me. Uh You're like, actually, they might be. You're just, you know, you're just glossing over them. You've been talking a lot about, like, the advice end of the spectrum, like positive advice end of the spectrum. (laughs) But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, like, what bad habits you've noticed. Like, what are the worst things, the absolute wrongest strategies (laughs) strategies <laughs> to building a profile that people do like what are the what are the things that like scream out at you when you're scrolling through 
OkCupid, for instance, is like just the worst. Adjectives are so bad. So you're Hemingway, basically. <laughs> like what adjectives you mean? I mean, funny, sweet, spontaneous, enthusiastic, energetic. You're all a show-don't-tell kind of person. I'm Well, online you have to be. Yeah. Because, like, in person you could meet me and be like, oh, she's funny and spontaneous, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but online you don't have, like, me to back that up. Yeah. So it just reads and you're like, okay, what kind of spontaneous are you? Are you like a cliff jumping spontaneous or are you like a let's order seamless with 20 minutes notice? (laughs) The really serious spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. But in in the, like if you're trying to show that you are spontaneous, isn't like just about any story that you're going to tell to show that going to seem like awkward and sort of self-involved in that, in the context of a dating profile? Like, isn't it? I mean, there's some there's some adjectives that you can replace with more fact-based storytelling, but I feel like some of them are just going to feel so labored, no? You know, I don't necessarily think so. I think yeah. if you want to highlight that you're spontaneous, you, you, you know, you're talking about your travels, and then you say a highlight, you know, colon, um, cliff jumping in my underwear in Croatia or in Kentucky or wherever. (laughs) It doesn't have to be like somewhere cool and exotic. It can be wherever. Um, What about like I picked up the delivery man last night? Would that be like too That's for your FetLife profile. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, can is there a line of like too sex forward to be? Yeah. What do you tell people about how much, how sexual and how, um, how much to make their profiles about their sex lives? Tell people to keep it pretty asexual. Sex is something that's totally implied in relationships. And with, you know, at least OkCupid, the great thing about it is that you can make your sexual preferences really clear through your questions. Have you ever made um, profiles for people who say, like, are in an open relationship and they're just looking for their, like, unicorn or their, you know, that kind of situation? Because those strike me as the ones when I talk to people... The number of, like, men in open relationships that are like, what do I do online to find the woman? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's definitely harder if you're a man like that. And I have. I've done open relationship profiles before. Basically, the key there is to just be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the – okay, so let's let's say you are looking for a unicorn or Mm -hmm. you're looking for a woman to date who's into the fact that you're in an open relationship – if you can talk about your partner in a way that's, like, very endearing, that's attractive to other people. So, like, if you can show that you care deeply about someone or, you know, can appreciate someone's quirks or, you know, any of those things that you want in a partner, if you can sh- show that you do those things, then that person is going to be more attracted to you. It's sort of surprising to me. I guess I would have, if I put myself in the shoes of like a woman who's like considering going on a date with a dude in an open relationship, I feel like the last thing I'd want to hear about is like how much he loves his girlfriend. But I guess what you're saying is it's just a sign of who he is. And No, you know what? I think that this is wise because what it means is that he's going to go on dates with women who are actually down with an open relationship as opposed to women who really want a boyfriend so badly that they're going to try to pry him away. They're going to try to pry him away, which is Mm -hmm. disastrous. I have been going on this rash of dates lately in New York, dates cold through online services where you get there and I spend like two hours with this guy. And then he's like, by the way, I've got a girlfriend that I didn't mention on my profile because nobody will go on a date with me when I say that. (sighs) 
And it's like this massive, I mean, it's not even that I'm like even kind of a girl who's down with that, except it's like the dishonesty is what like enrages me or the like. Are they typically cheating or are they in an open Wasting my time. Well, then it's like, I don't know. I mean, that's the biggest thing about profiles is that you do all at the end of the day want to be honest. You don't want to surprise someone like that because that's exactly what you said. You get like enraged by it. It's like you, the first thing that you did to me, like did was lie to me. Yes, exactly. And that's no way to start a relationship of any kind. There's no way to start yeah. a friendship. Yes. So our guest has been Lisa Hone. Her book is called You Probably Shouldn't Write That, Tips and Tricks for Creating an Online Dating Profile That Doesn't Suck. And you can also find her at ProfilePolish.com if you want her to polish your online dating profile. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Jennifer Wright was on the show talking about history's most epic breakup stories, and we asked you to call in with the most tumultuous tales from your own histories. Here's a really tragic one. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was in college, I was studying abroad in England for three months, and I thought it was a good idea to stay together with my boyfriend who was still in America, which, of course, in hindsight, I realized was a terrible idea, and no one should do that ever. But, you know, like we had been together for a couple of years and he was an old high school friend and we were talking about getting married. Um, So I was in London and I had been there for about two months. So he had started cheating on me, which I didn't know about, sleeping with and dating this girl um, who was in his service fraternity. And I had never met her. I didn't know her at all. Um, But a lot of our shared friends from high school were also in this group and they knew her. So they knew it was going on and nobody told me. And as it turns out, the person who told me was this girl. I woke up one morning in England to an email from this girl I didn't know. Uh, She didn't know that he and I were still together. And so when she discovered that, in essence, she had been cheated on, uh, she was furious and wanted, you know, felt like some girl solidarity that she should tell me what was going on, which... I get. And then a week later, he came to visit, which was, of course, a visit that we had planned months before and couldn't cancel without losing like $1,000. So then he was in London with me for a week, and I kept waiting for some like grand, emotional, apologetic gesture that would somehow like make it all okay and we could move forward. But of course that never happened because he was only like slightly apologetic. Um, and my life is not a movie. So anyway, that turned out to be uh, the worst breakup I ever had. This couple obviously doesn't understand the economic principle of a sunk cost where money that you've already spent is lost. They should have just yeah. canceled that trip. You know what? I have to say, this is something I feel very strongly about. This is the exact circumstance in which it is okay to break up by email and not do it in person. Totally. Like, when you're just going to be spending all this money and torture yourself, wasting your vacation days, both of your vacations. Not just wasting it. It's like tor- you're, like, choosing to torture yourself during that time. Like, know, it's going to be so uncomfortable and miserable. I always wonder if those people are, like, just trying to punish themselves by making themselves miserable. The second thing, though, that I think is, like, a diehard principle is that if you are fucking my boyfriend and you realize it, you don't get to have solidarity with me. Like the num, oh my God, my most irritating breakup, which like 
annoying for a million different reasons. But the most annoying thing is the chick that my ex-boyfriend, like, banged in the most, like, obnoxious, like, gross, everyone knows about it. He has no self-control. He's such an embarrassment way. Went on (laughs) to, like, have this campaign (laughs) of, like... Oh, God, Maureen, I feel for you. Like, we've both been screwed by the same man. And I was like, look, maybe that is the case, but, like, we are not in a sisterhood. You do not get to do that with me. In what, like, Don Tucker must die in the movies, that kind of shit, like, works out. But in real life, you're like... that's a movie that was only written by men. Exactly. (laughs) In real life, you're like, girl, don't even fucking try. I hope that bitch is listening right now. (laughs) So that's voicemails for this week. For next week, I, I don't know. I guess my favorite item from this, the, our interview with Lisa earlier was her date with a clown. I wonder if people could just call us with really crazy online dating encounters, things that they were completely taken by surprise by when they showed up at the restaurant or whatever. Yeah. Like, what is the, the biggest surprise of, like, the clown nose pulled out of your pocket? <laughs> the biggest shock. And were you kind of into it or did it make you Yeah, better run? if you're into it. Better. That was so weird that every single thing she said that I was like, oh, my God, Lisa, amazing. She's like, no, nasal spray is not a good take me home. That one's kind of gross, I admit. But there's something, like, pathetically sweet about it, though. (laughs) Anyway, leave us a message at 646-494-3590. And that's it for this week's Sex Lives. Thanks to our guest, Lisa Hone. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next time, and thanks for listening. 